again in communion. You have invited us to the banqueting table, and we've come. Table of remembrance, table of sacrifice, table of forgiveness, table of grace, table of love. And you've met us here. Father, I pray that we will not leave this place, this, this table, the same as we arrived. We'd leave cleansed, forgiven, healed, restored. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you uh, this morning on a topic on our Conversations with Jesus uh, series that's a, a tough topic. It's a tough topic, and it's one that, that strikes us all in different ways. In fact, for some of you, let me just say from the beginning, I realize that this is a message that could be a little triggering for some people because of some, of some circumstances that you've lived through. And please understand that you that the goal of this message is to, to share this message in a grace-filled, hope-filled way and uh, to encourage you and not to leave you feeling depressed or, or frustrated. I go to this sermon today admitting to you as a congregation that I myself struggle sometimes when my prayers aren't answered the way that I want them to be. When uh, a circumstance that I want to see go one way it just doesn't seem to go that way. I haven't hidden from you that of late I've been praying a lot for a friend of mine who's battling cancer. As my friend continues that battle and news has not been what I would want for it to be, I have redoubled my prayer efforts and the news continues to not be what I want to hear. That's tough. That's tough. I've heard many people who've said the reason that they are not believers is there was some occasion in their life when they prayed and God didn't answer the prayer the way they wanted. And so they thought, why should I pray? If you've ever been in that circumstance, if you've ever felt that way, then John records for us a conversation we need to hear, that we need to listen to. It's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples and Jesus and some people who are grieving death and a passing. Now, I've started this sermon this way on purpose because as soon as I say the text and the title, our natural inclination is to say, oh, well, that has a really hope-filled ending. It all ends well. And we can be dismissive of a lot of lessons that this story provides for us. So before we get to that end of the story, <laughs> let me remind you that we're talking about real people, just like you and me, and that they experienced real pain. And that even though your ending to your circumstance may not be the same as what they've experienced, there are some lessons here that we can still all glean from and take away. This is the story of the death of Lazarus. It's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples and Jesus and some people who are deeply grieving the passing of someone they loved. We find this in John chapter 11, and it says, there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the same Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. She was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. There's a lot in this passage, real quick, that I want you to get. Sometimes we think, well, if I was just better off in my relationship with God, if I was in a better place, something bad wouldn't happen to me. And we can blame ourselves for the, the fact that something happened, thinking, well, I just, it was, you know, it's my fault somehow. Or, or I'm not a good enough Christian. But in this story, I want you to hear loud and clear that you probably can't get any closer to Jesus than Mary and Martha and Lazarus were. You can't be a more devoted follower. All right, Mary has gotten down on her knees in front of Jesus and washed his grimy feet with her hair and poured perfume on them. And with her tears, she has wet them. You can't get, you can't give any more signs of your committedness to, to, to someone. The, the Bible describes this idea that, that Jesus had loved, I mean, Jesus loves everybody, but there's a sense that, that he had some close friends. John, the one who writes this gospel, was sometimes called the disciple that Jesus loved, one of his closest friends. And it's very clear that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were his, some of his closest friends that he had. And so these were, you just can't get any closer than they were. So if being close to Jesus would keep you from experiencing pain, that idea just gets shot all to pieces right away. These were his closest friends, and Lazarus is sick and he's dying. Now, when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. Before I go any farther, let me just make this statement, write it in your notes. No word from the Lord will ever fail. No word from the Lord will ever fail. If Jesus says it, it is true. Oftentimes when I pray, I pray, Lord, speak the word of healing, because if he speaks it, healing will happen, recovery will happen. In this story, Jesus, from the very beginning, says this won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son can be glorified through it. Now, John wants us, again, he's going to double down. He wants us to know that Jesus doesn't hate Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loves them. So John tells us, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why is he making that case so boldly? Because what happens next seems out of place. What happens next in the story, doesn't, it doesn't fit the timeline. Like, if you love someone, don't you rush to the hospital to see them when they're sick? Don't you run to them if you know that they're dying? Don't you engage them as quickly as you can? So John says, Jesus loved them. He loved them. So when he heard the news that Lazarus was, was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And that's an odd thing. I do want you to understand something about the earthly ministry of Jesus, that he had to experience something similar to what you and I experience. When he was on the earth in physical form, Jesus had to deal with the limitation of time. You, you battle this. You know what this is. There's not enough hours in the day sometimes. Jesus had to deal with the limitations of time. When he was in the earthly state of his life, all right, he, there's no recorded place where Jesus was in two places at once. He would be in one place at a time. That's important to the story. Now, that's not the way that is in the spiritual realm. He can be at all places at all times. But in the physical body, just like you and I, he was limited. So why tarry more two, day, two more days? There are a lot of reasons why, but let me remind you from just last week. 
what Jesus can accomplish in two days. Do you remember that it was just two more days he stayed in Sychar, and he led the whole village to faith? He stayed in Sychar after the woman of the well. He stayed there two more days, and in those two days, he led the entire village to faith. We don't know what ministry, what work Jesus had to do, but we can trust this truth. Jesus said, I have to be about my father's business. So we can trust that whatever happened, it wasn't that Jesus was, oh, I don't care that they're going to go through pain and suffering. It was something that was important that had to be attended to. So Jesus waits, and that's hard for all of us. When God waits to answer something, that is just hard. I told you last week, sometimes God waits centuries. Remember that story or two weeks ago, the story of the bronze serpent lifted up and the rabbis and the priests couldn't understand that graven image and what that was all about. It didn't have its fulfillment for hundreds of years until Jesus was put on the cross. Sometimes God waits. So when he heard that Jesus, Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now there's another story that's happening behind the scenes here, trouble that's brewing, and it, it, it comes into our conversation. And that is, we knew already from our story of Nicodemus at night, we knew last week that he had left uh, Jerusalem because of pressure from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests, so we knew that there was growing tension in Jerusalem. The disciples know that too. And they want to stay as far away from there as they can because they, they're right to say this. If we go back there, Jesus, they're going to kill you. And they're right. They're right about that. Now, they have read the tea leaves correctly, so to speak. They've seen the circumstance. It, it's the writing is on the wall. They see what's happening. So his friends say, Jesus, we can't go back there. That's suicide. Why would we go back that direction? And so this is the other conversation that's going on. Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. He had said this, after, before I go there, uh, Jesus said this in part to say, listen, the hours of daylight are about the work that has to be done and about time. And in essence, Jesus is saying to them, listen, there's still time to do the work that God wants me to do. So we're going to do it. There's still time. We're not going to fall down yet. But night is coming. It's a way of Jesus acknowledging time is drawing short and there is a night coming, and indeed they will come and get Jesus at night. That's how it will happen. So he sees what's coming, and he tells them, listen, we're okay. Now, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Jesus was being kind and polite like my dad was when our dog died. He's just fallen asleep. Don't worry about it. It's a long sleep. <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing for the disciples, but they're rather thick-headed at times, and so his disciples said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better, just like I did as a child. Now, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, so he just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. But let us go to him. I just want you to gather something that's not always easy to see, but is there can be a purpose in death that God wants to accomplish. That's hard when we lose someone to think that. Jesus told his disciples, this happened for a purpose. And at the end of this, I hope that you'll believe with a more with a strengthened belief you didn't have before. So, Thomas is there, and he understands the severity of the circumstance, but he also understands that they are walking towards death. So Thomas, who gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas, sure shows an awful lot of faith and strength and bravery here. Then Thomas, also called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also with him that we may die with him. Pretty brave. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, pretty close to where the trouble is. There were many Jews from Jerusalem who had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Mary, who had washed his feet, was pretty frustrated. Jesus, why has this happened? This is unfair or right? Martha, who was always the one about getting the social etiquette proper and correct, she runs off to see Jesus. She too has a wound, and she's going to share it. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I tell you, Martha had great faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection the last day. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And listen to Martha. I talked last week about the confession of faith that the woman at the well gave, and the, or the new woman as we're calling her now. Listen to the confession that's given here by Martha. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and said, the teacher is here, and he is asking for you. This is also a second thing I want us to gather about when trouble comes and difficulty comes. Jesus wants to be near us. We might not feel close to him, but he wants to be near us. He wanted to be near Mary and Martha in this moment of grief. He asked to be near them. He wants to be near them. He asked to be with Mary. Now, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting, knows how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to mourn there at the tomb. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. That's interesting. Jesus has seen her at his feet before right? 
with her hair. Do you think that he doesn't remember that? He does remember. He remembers her tears. She's cried at his feet before. And here she is again. Someone who has shown her loyalty to him and her love for him in every way she knows how that she can do it. And she is crying out and there is anger in her voice. There is frustration in her voice. There is real pain in her voice. And I know that some of you have experienced all of those things. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and Jesus was troubled. Jesus was moved and troubled by her pain. I want you to understand this, that Jesus is moved and troubled by your pain too, by your worst day. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was moved in spirit and troubled, and he asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And there's, here it is, the shortest verse in the Bible, but man, it conveys so much heavy truth. Jesus wept. Why? We already know this has a hopeful ending. You know the end of the story. Why is he weeping? I mean, we have the idea. We watch movies that have a bad part. We think, well, there's a good, there's a good part at the end of this, so it's worth enduring the bad part. No, Jesus is crying. He is weeping because... He fully experiences the pain and the loss that Mary and Martha and those who are grieving feel. And when the tears are rolling down your face and you are at the end of yourself and your frustration is pouring out at Jesus' feet, I want you to understand your tears are not the only ones hitting the floor. That he weeps with us in those moments of loss. He grieves with us in those moments. He understands physical pain. He lived on this earth, walked as a man. He understands what it feels like to experience pain and loss. He identifies with us in our suffering. And he cries with us even though he knows just the same way. He knows the hopeful ending of all stories and whatever hope is in them. Yet he still grieves because he loves. He grieves because he loves. John's told us that multiple times already. He loved them and he loves you. Jesus wept. Now the people who were there around who had come from Jerusalem, some of them said, wow, wow. Look at how Jesus loved him. He really cared about him. Here's this man showing his emotions. He must have really loved this guy. But then there's a cynic. There's always a cynic. Sometimes the cynic is a voice that even wrestles around in our own heads. 
Some of them said, well, couldn't he have opened his eyes? He who opened the eyes of a blind man, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. If you're who you say you are, why did you let this bad thing happen? When he heard that, Jesus was once more deeply moved. It got him. The words hurt him. They penetrated his soul. It, it was hard for him. I think he thought about the fact, man, I wish I had been here. I hate that this suffering had to happen. He was deeply moved. When he came closer to the tomb, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now this, everything changes when Jesus says that because his family who've been begging for, for, for wishing he'd been here, now they're like, wait a minute, no, no, Jesus, don't do this thing. And their sadness turns to fear and to horror at what might be coming. And so they say to him, don't do that. Don't do that. Martha says, Lord, there's, there's a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. Don't open the tomb. By the way, since we know this has a hopeful ending, if Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, which we know is coming in the story, couldn't Jesus have just also rolled away the stone himself? Why doesn't he do that? Why do the people have to, to engage in the work of rolling away the stone? Because Jesus invites us into the work of resurrection. Think about that for a moment. They had a role to play in the work of resurrection. And it will show up again in the story. Roll away the stone, he says. So they listened to him, they obeyed him, and they took away the stone. What should you do in the midst of your worst grief? You should do what the Lord asked you to do. Stay faithful. Then Jesus looked up and he spoke with God. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they can believe you're the one who sent me. And when he sent, said this, he called out in a loud voice, wait a minute, Lazarus is dead. The dead don't hear. The dead don't hear. Jesus calls out in a loud voice and the dead don't hear. So how is that possible? Well, you need to understand something. Jesus was with Lazarus when he was alive, and Jesus was with Lazarus when he's dead. He is still able to speak with him when he's alive, and he's able to speak with him when he's dead. The, the physical experience of death did not separate Lazarus from the voice of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And physical death doesn't separate you or your loved one from the experience of Jesus. That's amazing. Jesus is able to speak to Lazarus and he can hear him whether his eyes are open or his eyes are closed in death. He still hears and he still obeys. So Jesus speaks to him. And when Jesus speaks to him, even though he is, he is dead in the ground, he shouts out the word, Lazarus, come forth. And why does he say Lazarus? Because if he didn't, the dead would have risen which they will one day when he gives the call. The dead in Christ will rise first, the Bible says. That day of resurrection is coming when he will speak those words. And had he spoken them on this day, the dead would have risen because they hear his voice. They know his name. 
So Jesus says specifically, Lazarus, come forth. It's an important moment. And you gotta imagine Martha and Mary are terrified at what's gonna happen next. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to the people, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus said, it's time for you to get involved in the work of resurrection. When Jesus brings the dead back to life, which he brings the spiritually, back, spiritually dead back to life with regularity right here in front of us. And I'm sorry that sometimes we Christians, a person comes to faith and make a decision, someone who's battled drugs and addictions or problems, and then not long after that they fall down again and we can be quick to say, well, I knew it wasn't going to last. What were we supposed to really do? We should have come right alongside that resurrected person and help them get those trappings and clothings of death out, off, away, so they could move into life. Yeah, oftentimes when our brothers and sisters fall, it's not just their fault, it's ours. It's easy to stumble if the cloths of death are still wrapped around your feet. We gotta help set people free. Jesus called them to join him in the work of resurrection. Get the smell and stench of death off that man. He's alive. He's alive. Well, there's a lot more to the story that you can read, and it is exciting to read how things go on from there. His adversaries, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, all of them, they, they begin to hear this news, and they say, wow, if we don't stop him, pretty soon the whole world's going to believe in him. And I hope the whole world will believe in him. Because there is only one who raises the dead. And there is only one who holds the keys of life and of death, and it's Jesus Christ. Mary and Martha's story ended in a hope-filled way. Right now, for some of us, it doesn't feel like that's the way our stories have ended. There is a verse in the scripture that has always struck me, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes in heaven. There is something about that that's very profound. It speaks to God being able to bring healing to our hearts in ways that no one else or nothing else can. Sometimes he brings that to us in this life. He does. But I think that there are some wounds that are so deep, some pains and troubles that are so horrible that we will not find healing until heaven. But his promise is true. What did we say at the beginning? No word from the Lord shall fail. No word shall fail. One day. One day. What do we do in the meantime? We trust him. We trust him. We trust that he loves us. 
We trust that his words are true. We trust that he'll do what he said he would do. What did he say? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that one day you will be where I am. That's our hope. Our hope has always been in Jesus. Now, as you hear that message today, if you are a Christian, you hear it one way. If you're a non-Christian, you hear the story, I think, very differently. What does death look like for those that don't know or love Jesus? I mean, Jesus still knows and loves them. But what does it look like if we don't love him? It's just different. It's harder. It doesn't bring us much peace. And friend, you won't have peace until you know Jesus. So if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, let this be the day that you do that. And if you're a Christian, then this is a day for us to contemplate some other things. If you're hurting, I hope you find some solace and some help in the scriptures. I told you I've got a friend that I keep praying for. My friend's story isn't finished yet, and I'll keep praying. I'm very hopeful that things will go a certain way, and I still have faith that God can completely change that story a million different ways. But it's in the back of my mind, what happens if it doesn't go the way I want? What am I supposed to do? Well, I hope, after I get past my moments of frustration and anger, that I'll still just trust him. It's what Virgil had to do when his wife Dory passed. I just have to trust him. We've had so many passings like that here. Children, people that we cared about and loved. What do we do in those moments? We just have to trust. Trust that God's words are true. That Christ's love is still there. And that one day he'll wipe the tears from our eyes. What does John say at the end of his gospel? It was read to you this morning. These things are written so that you can believe them. Take them and put them in your heart. Trust them. If you're ready to put your trust in Jesus, I invite you to do so as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.